Broadcasting from the Hair Saloon corporate offices, it's the Suzanne Venker Show, where men and women are equal in value but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives regarding men, women, sex, and love. Today on the show, we're going to talk with licensed professional counselor Rose Skeeters, whose personal and professional experience proves how disastrous it is to feminize our boys and men. But first, a few quick announcements. I'm rolling out a plan to take the Suzanne Banker Show to the next level. My goal is to continue to provide you with incredible guests and to keep the show commercial free. In order to do this, I'm now accepting donations from listeners via Patreon. Whatever you're able to give per month, your donations will go straight to funding this mission for my podcast. And best of all, when you become a Patreon subscriber, you get great perks like free ebooks, exclusive content, a live Q&A with me, and a shout out on the show, depending on which tier you choose. And speaking of shout outs, I'd like to take a moment to thank my new super fans, Kim, Kimberly, and Dante. Your support is greatly appreciated. For more information on how to become a Patreon subscriber, go to SuzanneBanker.com slash podcast and click on Become a Patron. Finally, in response to the coronavirus, I'm running a two-week coaching special at 50% off my normal prices for a single session. Just go to SuzanneBanker.com slash coaching and scroll to the bottom where you'll see the COVID-19 special. In January 2019, the American Psychological Association issued its first-ever guidelines for practice with men and boys. Its message was clear. It claimed that traditional masculinity, such as stoicism, competitiveness, dominance, and aggression, is, quote, on the whole, harmful, end quote. Licensed professional counselor Rose Skeeters, based in Pennsylvania, was horrified when she heard this news. The APA used to be a respected organization based on solid research and empirical evidence. Now they have a very obvious feminist agenda. The emasculation of men is leading to the fall of the human species, notes Skeeters. We cannot propagate if there's no division of male and female. A former single mother of a son, Rose knows firsthand what the fallout of the feminization of boys and men will mean, not only for them, but for women and girls and for the future of American families. Rose and I will discuss the many ways in which the lack of distinction between male and female literally ruins lives. Welcome to the show, Rose. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. This is going to be great. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. So I'd like to just start out, Rose, by having you tell us your story. So just tell people in a nutshell who you are and why this subject matters to you so much. Sure. So I am, like you said, a licensed professional counselor, and I started my journey to become a therapist through, you know, joining, I'm sorry, attending college at LaSalle University here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And while I was studying become a therapist, I, you know, I started off in a doctoral program. So I got pregnant in the program. I became a single mom. So I was trying to juggle a lot of things at once, trying to be a mom, a parent, you know, become a professional, a psychologist. And in through, you know, being in that program, I realized the importance of research. That's what they're really trying to drive home in these programs, training psychologists and training therapists. The APA at the time was this organization that really laid down the law, let's say, for what a psychologist should be, what what's ethical and what's not ethical. So, you know, I had really taken an interest in this as an organization. Now, unfortunately, because I got pregnant in the program, I was younger at the time. I was a single mom and I wasn't able to finish my doctoral studies. Um, So my journey through just, you know, being a therapist and being a single mom has really taught me to look at the facts 
to be logical minded. And I know firsthand that having a child who doesn't have a father figure is detrimental to the child. It's very, it was very difficult for my son to adjust socially in school. I had to watch him go through things that even at the time, I didn't realize it was because he didn't have a strong male role model. I mean, he was very um, overly emotional, very sensitive, very just feminine. not like the other kids. Yeah, feminine. Right. Yeah, feminine. feminine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's like me. Right. Well, sure. You're the person in his life. I mean, and you're mom. I mean, there, if there's nobody else, it makes perfect sense. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I had, you know, finally met my husband and he came into the picture and he now he's from Indiana. Mm -hmm. So he's not from the East Coast. And he was a traditional guy that he, he has. He fills the male we, role model. We Midwesterners tend to be Rose. Right. I know. I love every minute of it, you know, and I'm from Philly. Yeah. So you know how abrasive, yeah. no offense, Philadelphians, yeah. you know, pretty abrasive. So he was like the, this gentleman, he opened the car door for me. It was raining on our first date mm. and he walks me to the door with his umbrella and just like, I just go on my house. It was just so odd to me. And I remember thinking, this is it. This is like my, the guy that I've been always, you know, wanting. So this is really interesting. So did you not have, what was your experience with that up to that point? I mean, well, obviously it was unusual or you wouldn't have just said that, but I mean, um, did you ever, was it, was it completely new to you in terms of not just your own experiences with men, but even your father and your mother and things that you'd learned growing up? It was my, yes, it was completely new to me in dating, not necessarily my father and my mother. They had a tumultuous dynamic because my mother was really, you know, she wanted what she wanted when she wanted it. And my father was an engineer. So mm. they kind of butted heads because they were just different. Yeah. Um, so I learned that romantic relationships should be really chaotic and, and you know, unstable. You. Yeah. Right. I hear yeah. you on that one. Yeah. Um, but, so, so go ahead. So this, so, so your husband's name, I'm sorry, is, is Jay. Jay. And so Jay comes into your life and he presents this whole new way of looking at male female dynamics. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Yes. And it was very attractive to me. I thought, wow, you know, this is the guy who's going to fill my gas tank when I don't want to. He's going to take my trash to the curb. Well, that that's really interesting because you had been a single mom for so long and I, I can't imagine not having a husband. So I can only think about wow, like every single day, those things that I depend on him, all of a sudden I'd be doing if he weren't around. So I could see how striking that must have been for you coming from one extreme to the other. So getting getting back to the your son. So so then, okay, so you, you have this relationship with him that's more traditional and you're happy about it. And then how, where does your son fit into this? So my son was three years old at the time. And he doesn't see his biological father but once a week for, you know, a few hours. And that's been since he was three. We didn't have a strong male role model in his life. So when my husband came in to the picture, he had to reteach this boy. Now, you know, it took a couple of years for him to feel comfortable enough to parent him, right? Sure. So we're thinking like around six or seven, he now has to reteach this boy what he didn't learn before, like rough and tumble play, respect looking people in the eye, moving past, you know, emotions, things that as a woman, I just wasn't socialized to know. So I could never have taught him that. Got it. So that kind of leads perfectly into the APA and what happened there. Because So I'm going to start by reading for people who aren't familiar 
I'm, although I'm sure my audience does remember this from a year ago, but um, I'm going to read a little bit from these guidelines that the APA put out last year. And keep in mind, people like Rose are the ones who received these guidelines. Well, we all heard about them, but you're receiving them as far as this is what you're supposed to do now going forward in your career. For the first time ever, the APA is releasing guidelines to help psychologists work with men and boys. Then they go on to acknowledge all the things that are happening right now with men in the United States. Men commit 90% of homicides, represent 70% of homicide victims. They're the demographic most at risk of being victimized by violent crime. They're 3.5 times more likely than women to die by suicide, and their life expectancy is shorter than women's. And boys are far more likely to be diagnosed with ADD than girls are. So the APA, it's not that their assessment of what's happening with men and boys is problematic. It's, it's correct. The problem is in their solution and their inability to recognize what the real reason that men and boys are struggling is, which is, as you just pointed out or alluded to, has everything to do with fatherlessness or father absence in the home and the lack of modeling that they have for what it means to be male, right? What masculinity is, healthy masculinity, which their APA is now trying to get across to people like you that you're supposed to then pass on to these young men and boys. You're supposed to somehow tell them how to be masculine in some arbitrary way that they come up with, as opposed to recognizing that the only way a boy can learn how to become a man is when a man teaches him to do that. Right. A healthy man, of course. Absolutely. Well, they are saying that traditional masculinity is a direct line to something like rape, right? So they're not distinguishing between toxic masculinity and traditional masculinity. They're actually saying that male stoicism is a bad thing. Traditional masculinity is a bad thing because it, it's, it's like this gateway drug to sexual <laughs> harassment, but that doesn't make any sense, really. Logically, if you think about it, they're saying we should tell boys that boys should guide their actions and decisions and choices, not by a moral compass, not by a moral, a male code, not by stoicism, but by their emotions. And I mean, never, ever did I learn in a doctoral program for psychology that anyone should make choices based on emotions. But now we want to tell, you know, Every, if, if you've lived long enough, you know that choices based on emotion cloud the direction that you're going and you don't want to do that. No, but now I have a document saying you need to tell boys that they shouldn't be stoic. They should actually be emotional. So what we're ending up with is this enormous feminization of boys who then become feminized men. And right. this is unquestionably leading to disaster in so many different arenas. So let's talk about the fallout of this war. I call it a war on boys and men, particularly the problems that you've encountered both personally and professionally um, in these different areas. So, so let's say, for example, boys versus girls. We talked to you and I a little bit about how this negatively affects both sexes, because if you don't have a father, what, what are you receiving in your office from boys versus girls when they had no father or a father whose relationship was, you know, severely impaired? So with, you know, let's say like women who have had a weak father or a father who was more feminine, a lot of the times you see that come out in 
you know, especially with younger girls, I'm seeing them say that they are like their sexuality is now changed because of it. So men are scary, right? And they have this idea that men are scary, so they can't date men. They need to choose to date someone of the same gender. And so I'm not saying that that's everyone in the LGBTQI community, but it is, you know, a large majority of young kids who didn't get an example of love, a man's love from a man. So their, their, you know, their father was feminine. So now they're seeking love in this other way, you know, by trying to find a same sex partner. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a big taboo subject because same sex attraction doesn't necessarily equate to being homosexual. So that's a key factor that people, we don't distinguish between that at all in the culture. Uh, if you have an attraction, well, therefore you're gay. And then you get slapped with that label and that's who you are because that's empowering somehow or that's a political issue. But of course that doesn't solve the real issue, which is that for at least half of this group, they're dealing with something much more complex um, as to why they have that same-sex attraction. So I know that was one thing specific to girls, and I would I would venture farther to say, so that's a little bit more clinical for you because I don't deal with that stuff, but I would say that when when it comes to relationships with men um, or boys or men, um, those who are having you know opposite-sex relationships are completely confused as to what their, what each person's role is supposed to be. Do you, I, I mean, I see that all the time. I don't know if you do. Mm-hmm. I see, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of people who have been in relationships with the same sex partner, right? And then we talked about this, mm-hmm. right, for years, you know, like maybe 10 years in a relationship with same sex partner, and they wake up and for whatever reason, that relationship dissolves. And they come to see me because maybe they are stuck, or they're looking for, you know, their identity. And you know, they come to find themselves. I do a lot of work around figuring out what your moral compass is. You know, what is it that you believe in? Because your life is going to be very chaotic if you have no idea what you stand for. You need to have values. So once they start to come into themselves and figure out who they are, then the opposite sex becomes a little bit more attractive. So I have people who, you know, are in are engaged, be married to men, women who had been in you know, same sex partnerships, relationships for years. I find that incredibly fascinating. And I see that in, I see it more in young people as being a trend. Young people, I mean 20-somethings or even younger, where they're experimenting a lot. And I think, yes, it's trendy to be, I think that it is, that's what I'm seeing, um, to be, especially for girls, uh, to, you know, yeah, to get with other girls. (laughs) Um, But they're, but but I think there's more to it than just it's the thing to do, like, you know, in latest hairstyle. I, there's just no question that the breakdown of the family structure, the traditional family structure, has led to this in a huge way. I agree 100% because, you know, like I said, the reasoning for finding the same-sex partner that I'm hearing from clients is that they're scared of men. Because, of course, if you're raised by a feminist man, that's your father then that man is going to be more emotional. They're going to be less directive. They're not going to have a leadership role. They're, they might be a tyrannical leader, order the line of tyranny because they're so emotional that that's how they make their choices. So mm. men then that are traditional men that are quiet, reserved, hardworking, calm, and just lead through action are scary. Because they're not this open book of emotions. That's what these women were used to. So it's like, oh, 
you're not saying everything on your mind. You're not saying all the thoughts that come to your mind. I can't be with you. I need to be with someone who's overly emotional, who's, you know, like, just like my father was. So that's the girls. That's girls and how it affects their their relationships as they get older. Now, what about boys? I'm with boys without strong fathers. I mean, this is a very difficult thing to talk about because a lot of the men that come see me, they could use a man to go see. So I co-own a business with my husband. He does mindset coaching with men. Something that I find very intriguing is that men that need mindset coaching from men don't Mm -hmm. want to talk to men because strong men are, again, intimidating. Right, right. Of course. Of course. Well, first of all, that they, they think probably that they're representing something they're supposed to be in or not. And then they also right. aren't familiar with it because that's they either didn't have a dad or they had a soft dad. And so this is scary. And anything that's new is is scary. Um, yeah. And plus, we live in this culture where we're so confused. We're so hopelessly confused about men and women, male and female, masculine and feminine, that nobody really knows what to make. They don't I don't think they're making sense of that. I'll just tell you what I see with my coaching and you can tell me on your end because I'm kind of curious. I don't think I asked you this when it comes to dating and marriage for both men and women, it's now or young men and women, even it's now to the point where, because nobody knows what anyone's role is supposed to be, they're both shooting in the dark. Right. And they're doing something that they think the other one wants. So for example, you have a, a whole nation of men, young men, specifically young men now who are not mar- yet married, who, who actually expect sex on the first date because that's how much the sex um, dynamic in dating has changed. So I don't know if you get a lot of single people um, and I'm sure that follows even into their twenties, not just before, but anything pre-marriage let's say is that the whole dating process has been usurped by the sex. To me, the sex, it all goes back to the minute women started believing that they could have sex, quote unquote, like a man. So I've written a lot about that and how that was really the impetus for everything else just falling away. Yeah, absolutely. I do see a lot of that. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's just 20 year olds. That's the thing that's so concerning. I mean, we're talking single people into their 30s, like early 30s. You know, that's it's hard for them to really want women to want to date because they know that the guy is looking for sex. And then the guy thinks that that's what the girl wants. So there's just this confusion of roles and I really think one of the biggest problems is that an overly emotional man man becomes a tyrant right and so you have these people dating and like you know it's like almost as if the man the men thinks that they have to be borderline abusive to be a real man so men are supposed to be leaders and I think that there is a natural gender divide between a man and a woman in a relationship and and one man is going to the man is going to become a leader in some way But if that man was never taught how to be stoic, right? Like Marcus Aurelius for years, this book, his writings have been famous, right? Because of stoicism. So if someone never learned these traits of um, integrity, loyalty, honesty, transparency, right? And they grow to be a leader, the leadership power, instead of becoming great leadership with strength, they're becoming weak tyrannical emotion driven leaders where it's like I want you to do what I say and you're going to do it and I'm not going to have a good reason for it because tomorrow when I'm not angry and in my emotional mind I'm not going to want that same thing so they're going to have expectations that are in line with their emotions which creates a leadership out of tyranny 
Well, I see now more wh- how you must have felt when you got these guidelines and that you were supposed to teach from from the idea that they're supposed to be more emotional, knowing full well that that's not how it works. <laughs> not at all. And I have women coming to me with even with their husbands who have children and they're saying, Rose, my son is nine years old and he's overly emotional. Like, what do I do? I think I'm supposed to sit with him and talk about his emotions. And I'm like, no, you don't want to do that. Go ahead. No, you don't want to. So what do you tell them? You want to say, you know, you want to acknowledge that your child, whether male or female, has an emotion. But specifically with a boy, you're not going to let your boy, your nine-year-old child, sit crying in his room for three hours because you want your boy to be raised in a, in a, in a non-binary manner. I, that doesn't make sense. I'm glad you brought that up because I think about this only insofar as my own experience. I have a son and a daughter and a, and a very strong father. And there's just simply no question that my son wouldn't be the all those things that you just described that make for a healthy, masculine, traditional guy or whatever. Um, there's no way he could have been those things without him. I mean, if he was with me alone, there's just no way. I talk with... Um, a gentleman who I have on this program quite a bit, Andre Parody, and the whole thing is about masculine and feminine dynamics. And we've talked several times about how, honestly, by the time your your son is about 10, 11, 12, your job is done as a mom. It just is. Now, you picture people who are in homes with just mothers from 12 to 18 when no with no father in the picture. There is no question, in my opinion, and that's when so much of the damage is done to boys. And of course, it's very unpopular to say this because if you happen to be a single mom, it's extremely difficult to hear, you know, but I don't think that because it's difficult to hear, we we can avoid talking about it because we're having the problems that we're having with young men in part because of this. And you're changing who they become from, from 12 to 18 if they literally have no man in their lives or no strong man, I should say, if you have an unhealthy or a weak father, or a soft father, or a um, drunk father, you know, obviously those those don't apply. But if you have a strong masculine man in the house, um, it is up to them to teach that boy how to be a man. I couldn't teach my son how to be a man. I could teach my daughter how to be a woman just by my example. But there's nothing that I'm going to be doing that's going to make my son appeal to, endear him to me in terms of his own identity, right? Right, yeah. Absolutely. Women are nurturers. We are supposed to nurture our children. You know, I, as a, having been a single mom and then now being married to a strong man, I can tell you that when I am with my son and then my husband comes home from work and I'm like leave, you know, and my son and my husband are hanging out together. It's as if he's a whole other human. He can yeah. suddenly butter his own toast. He can, he's, he's suddenly like risen to his age. He's 10 years old, but with me, he's, more nurtured so he wants me to do things for him right he's like mommy's little boy so if I had never married Jay he would be mommy's little boy until he's 26 and then we have adult children walking around that's what we have and then you have these poor women who are begging people what I don't I need a man where are the men where did they come from and they don't understand how they got to be this way exactly and then and, we have single single mothers. How can they even find a man if all the men available are adult children? Because they don't want to be toxic. I want to say you're so fortunate in having found Jay. But so how old are the two of you when you met? Uh, when we met, oh my goodness, my math. So it was, I'm 37. 
and we've so, been together about yeah seven years so okay. 30 30 and he's the same age no he's 43 okay well that's even more interesting then because um that's i think part of I mean, I want to say on the one hand, you're so fortunate to have found him, which you already know, I'm sure. And we just need a bunch more J's, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We do. Yeah. I am fortunate to have found him, but I will tell you that it is still a really big struggle for us with my 10-year-old son because there are certain, he doesn't like to be uncomfortable. He doesn't like to be pushed. And that comes from when I met Jay, LJ was three, my son was three. So it took a couple of years for Jay to feel even comfortable to go, you know, you should probably do this with that boy. Right. So, I mean, for years, you have this pattern of, of nurturing, of making him, my son was very comfortable. He was like, I like to buy him stuff. So he was just mommied, you know, like with a grandmom all day, if you want to picture it. So now mm-hmm. at 10, he wants to become a man because he knows what that is. But in trying to help him become a man, Jay has to weed through and undo all of the mommy stuff. Keep reminding, like, your mommy is not going to rescue you every time you need help because then you'll never grow to be this man you want to be. So we have conversations about these things all the time. So the, the effects of not having a man in the beginning of his life ha- are long-lasting. This is what makes it real and understandable is talking to people like you. We need so many more people in your boat explaining this the way that you do and, and be, not only being in that situation, being willing to talk about it. Um, and, and, and we don't, we just simply don't have enough of that. And so we don't see it in real time. But when we talk about it like this, it makes perfect sense. Um, so, and that leads to something else I was going to say about this confusion about male and female biology and how it's designed to work in tandem and how that, what that fallout is when we don't acknowledge that. So another one is parenting. You know, it's no longer fashionable to raise boys and girls differently. That's another big thing. You know, however I raise my daughter, I'm supposed to raise my son and vice versa, as if they are literally interchangeable. Wrong, 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 wrong. People come to see me to seek my services in order for me to tell them that that's wrong and change it back. So that's one of my biggest client bases is I help people figure out how to raise their sons because that isn't working it's not working to raise them both the same. So their daughters and their sons are both very over emotional and they're hypersensitive. And these mothers are worried about their boys. And they're like, but I thought that I was supposed to treat them the same. And I, my first words are always the same. It's, I hate, I'm going to tread lightly here. Yeah. But there are, there is a difference between boys and girls. And we might have to go back to basics. I say that all the time because I don't want to offend anyone. And I understand that there's more to the LGBT community than what we're talking about. But I also know that there is a big difference between having a boy and having a girl. And there's a big difference between the rite of passage that a young boy goes through and the rite of passage that a young girl goes through. And if we don't separate the two, then we're just going to have a bunch of women walking around. And of course, feminists love that. That's what they want. And they're getting it. And let's go back into the APA for a second. People need to understand that the APA, as you were initially is trying to point out, I think that it used to be a very reputable organization. It is now totally taken over by feminist agenda. You cannot trust when APA puts something out, you can't hear it the way you might hear, I don't know, Pew Research Center or something. You know, you, you have to hear that and understand, oh, that's feminist speak through this organization that is supposed to be impartial. 
Absolutely. It's almost heartbreaking to think that an organization that was based on logic and facts, an organization that, you know, I went through a PsyD program as a psychologist, which means that's not, that's where you have to pay your own way. It was like $300,000 it cost for this education. And it was based on the scientific model. And then years later, I'm still paying the loan. And that's the document they put out that's based on 40 years, they said, of scientific research. It's yeah. heartbreaking. It's like, make, made me feel crazy. I read it a few times and I thought to myself, you wanted me to learn something I had not learned as a child, that emotions are not the thing that should guide your decision making. But yet you put a document out to tell all of us practitioners that we should allow boys to let their emotions guide their decisions. Like I was saying earlier, it's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. And that just shows you the extent of the feminist agenda and where it... This this is what I call the more insidious part of it because, you know, I talk a lot about the media and the culture and movies and all of that. That's a little bit more easy... That's easier to get your head around, you know, when you're talking about a message that they're sending in a, in a realm like that. But... You don't expect it in this one. And this is this is the insidious nature of it, is that if nobody knows that it's an organization that's mostly feminist in its thinking, even for the men who are there, and I know it's there's more women than men in the APA, but the men who are there are feminist men. You know, they think like feminists. They believe that ideology. Then it really, if, if you know that, that's going to completely alter the way you're receiving, I hope, that information. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's why there hasn't been a lot of people speaking out against it, because now what I'm seeing is colleagues are now introducing themselves using their gender pronouns. You know, my name, like I was in, you know, I'm trying to grow a business, right? So I'm in a group of other like-minded clinicians trying to grow their own business. And the way that they're introducing themselves in their console call is, my name is Rose Skeeters. I use the pronouns she, her, and you know, whatever they say. And I just, to myself why do i have to identify i have my long hair i have identifying female features why do i now as a clinician have to identify my gender pronouns in a meeting of other clinicians it's i i can't even imagine being in your boat i don't so how do people this is sidebar here i didn't have this down for a question but what how do you maneuver going forward being different from your colleagues how does that work yeah so i I'm fortunate to have a business where I can sort of stand alone and get my um, continuing education credits where I would want to so that I can choose what I'm learning. I also do know a lot of people that push back against it, but they don't want to say anything because now the ACA, which, you know, it's the American Counseling Association, they put out a similar document that mirrors what's said in the APA's document. And if the ACA has a problem in any way with what I'm saying, they can take away my licensure to practice in the state of Pennsylvania or whoever is speaking out. And so that's like a real concern for people. They don't want to speak out. I do have a lot of colleagues who think that this is all hogwash. It's ridiculous. Because the people that do clinical work well and actually help people, like myself, like my colleagues, we know that we actually have to give information that is directly in opposition to those documents to help people just just listening to it's making me mad i'm not even in that profession per se i mean coaching is a completely different animal i don't i don't have to abide by these types of um dictates although you deal with much much more serious stuff like we're going to get to the bdsm because i know that that's a i want to talk about that because you brought that up the other day and i said oh that's one topic i'm quite certain i've never discussed but i know why i want to i want to talk about that but before we do i want to talk about the significance 
of our relationship with our opposite sex parent growing up. I think that is something that is very, um, I don't, I just don't read or I don't hear a lot about it a lot. I don't read about it at all. And yet to me, it has everything to do with who we end up with ourselves in life for a life partner and how we view, um, what a relationship should be like based on how we should be treated from whatever that opposite sex parent specifically, you know, uh, presented to us, I should say in our, in our upbringing, what is your experience with that? Um, so I definitely agree that the relationships that we have with our parents growing up shape a lot of our behaviors growing, you know, as we age, including our relationships. And, you know, I think that if you, if, what you learn that love is from your father or your mother, if that is tumultuous, if it's written with abuse or negative language or passive aggression, then that's the role that's going to be fulfilled when you go into this, you know, a dating situation. Or let's say, you know, like for example, I'll put myself out there for my own household. I said my dad was an engineer and my mom was kind of overbearing. So mm-hmm. I learned that men don't really have a voice. They don't have thoughts and feelings so we learned that men are just statues in the house and we can just mm-hmm. walk all over them right yep. yep so not this is before my self-growth the people I had been with were more that in that way they were you know weaker men that didn't speak up for themselves and I guess that could go the other way where you would I mean I'm sure it does where people want the opposite and then they go too extreme and get the hard-ass controlling you know guy yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. When I was, my son's father is that way. It was a, you know, domestic violence situation. He was very controlling, oh, yeah. abusive. Yeah. I call that uh, a dysfunctional pendulum swing. <laughs> you know, I feel like everybody has one and they do whatever it was they didn't have. They go in the other direction, like like beeline for it. And then they get into it and like, oh, wait, wait, this one's not so good either. This is not good. I have to calibrate my choices yeah, or whatever. Just go put it all into perspective. So here we have, I was a single mom because the partner that I had chosen to have this child with was abusive, right? Like a toxic man. But what the APA wants me to do is call my current husband, who is strong, courageous, loyal, kind. He has integrity. He is a traditional man, but he's the one who's toxic. Now tell me that's not backwards. The man who sees his own son one day a week for a few hours is not the toxic one because he's the emotional guy. So he's normal. But the one who took over the stepfather role, he's the toxic one. That that's awesome. That's brilliant. I mean, awesome, meaning that comparison that really brings it home. Just thinking of those examples that you just, when you look at it that way, you just see how unbelievably nuts it is. I want to talk about this kind of bizarre topic. Bizarre to me, not to you. Um, (laughs) Because I know you said you deal with this a lot, but I am quite certain I've never written about this, talked about this, or even given it much thought. But you asked me about BDSM, or didn't ask me, you were telling me about um, how this connects to BDSM. And then when you were talking about it, the first thing I said to you was, oh, you mean like Fifty Shades of Grey? That I get, because I, I understand the dynamic going on there. So, of course, it had BDSM undertones in it, or maybe overtones, maybe all tones, I don't know. But um, So let's talk about why people get into that boat. When you got married... 
things were perfect. You were both in love and life was good. Then somewhere along the line, everything changed. She changed, or maybe he did. Either which way, now your relationship feels, well, hard. I coach husbands and wives who feel lonely, disrespected, or misunderstood in their relationship. So many women today are desperate for their husbands to step up to the plate, to make a decision and to stick to it, to lead rather than to follow. Ladies, you have the power to make it happen. Men respond best to women who are grounded in their feminine core. As for husbands, so many of them want their wives to stop nagging and to just trust them, to smile more and to complain less, to look at them the way they did when they were first dating. Men, you have the power to make it happen. Women respond best to men who are grounded in their masculine core. The secret to lasting love rests in the masculine-feminine dance. Once you master it, your relationship will no longer be difficult. You'll be moving with the biological tide rather than against it. And that makes marriage smooth sailing. If you're struggling in your relationship, if you feel frustrated or alone, I can help. Just go to SuzanneBanker.com, that's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-V-E-N-K-E-R.com, and click on the coaching button at the top. Don't wait another minute to acquire the mindset you need to find love and to sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. That's SuzanneVenker.com. So there are a lot of reasons why people get into that boat. So another disclaimer, you know, just like we were talking about the LGBTQI community, this is the same. The whole BDSM community doesn't fall into what I'm going to talk about right now. Because I know that there are people who are incredibly passionate about BDSM being this way of life. And I'm, you know, not talking about those people. I'm talking about young girls who are looking for a man who's going to take care of them. And they cannot find that because they end up dating a series of adult children, like we talked about, weak men. So then they come across someone who is in this BDSM community, which is this dominant, submissive relationship that they're supposed to have. So the man in this relationship is dominant over this woman. So it kind of mirrors this idea of a man being more traditional, but it's dysfunctional and you know sometimes it can be considered sexually deviant right i think that's the fuzzy line sexually deviant is not a good way to put what happens in this in the bdsm community because there are people who really love to be in that community i just i I always see these you know young girls i'm working with they gravitate towards that and i ask them wouldn't you want to have a man who would just take care of you rather than going to parties where they're whipping people or they're just you know just getting whipped and having to have these conversations where these men are borderline abusing you telling you when to talk and when you can leave your house and the answer is always the same yes if I could find it so if society was producing men that were traditional and you know strong leaders I don't think that there would be as much of a pool sure there's always going to be an underground BDSM community there's always going to be underground everything right like it's been that way for years but I just don't think it would be just so much in the public eye. People see Fifty Shades of Grey, which is like the very vanilla, as they say, version of BDSM. I don't think I want to know about anything deeper. Well, young girls are really drawn to that. They're really drawn to this idea of a man being dominant, but in a leadership. But in a life. leadership. I mean, I mean, I, that's that's what I do. That's what I help women and men fix, I should say, in their relationships that that he is the leader. But that's a completely different animal than the BDSM world, which is what you're saying. There's this huge distinction. And while that group may always exist in the world, it wouldn't be so big as what I'm hearing you say if if there were more men like my husband or your husband who are strong, masculine leaders um, that we can all respect and admire and, and, and who girls and boys, but boys in particular, need to guide them into adulthood. If we had those in abundance, which we used to have... 
back when, you know, most men were, quote unquote, traditionally masculine and thus, according to the APA, harmful. The funny thing is they're really, really? Okay, so the people that were turning out, the boys and men that were turning out today are somehow better than 40, 50 years ago. And their argument would is almost always the same, which is, yes, because they're more involved on the home front and with their children, which I think is great, but that has nothing to do with the problems that you're trying to address with male suicide and all the rest that they've identified in this in this um, in these guidelines, the problems that are going on with men and boys are not a result of um, having had a, uh, a a father who didn't play on the ground with them as much. In other words, that's not it. That's not what it is. Which is not to say that it's not good to, to play with your kids and change the diapers and do all of that. But the reverse isn't true. That if he didn't, you're going to churn out this, this suicide in boy. I mean, that's ridiculous. I'm going to read a little bit more from the APA because I want to get what get to what's behind their motivations for why they're doing it. Prior to the second wave feminist movement, researchers assumed that masculinity and femininity were opposite ends of a spectrum and that healthy psychology identifying strongly with gender roles conferred by a person's biological sex. They call this old psychology that failed to take men's gendered experiences into account. Once psychologists began studying the experiences of women through a gender lens, it became increasingly clear that the study of men needed the same gender-aware approach. I mean, if that wasn't written by a feminist, I don't know what would be. It's hilarious because people love to take their work, take words, and then make it fit whatever rationalization they want to be true in the moment. It is true to say that last line that men need to be looked at through this lens, but it's not the lens of women, right? It's men right. should be taught to be a traditional male. The, the male stoicism has been convoluted and distorted into these very emotional men. So all they had to do was switch it, right? Yeah. All they had to do was switch yeah. what they were saying, but they don't want to do that. I think they want to keep people weak. So then you as a psychologist or as a counselor have this new, the new guidelines directed to you. Clinicians must be aware. Clinicians like you, Rose, must be aware of dominant masculine ideals and cognizant of their own potential biases. Mental health professionals must also understand how power, privilege, and sexism work both by conferring benefits to men and by trapping them into narrow roles. I mean, that speaks volumes, that right there. Just those words, power, privilege, and sexism, that would not come from an impartial organization that was committed to research and was objective in its studies. There's just no way. That's a very specific feminist message. Yeah, it's just horrible. You know, I, I try to think of all the all of the reasons that they had, you know, and I think, okay, if I had someone that came to me and they were a male and they were gay or struggling with their sexuality or they just were more feminine because there are always going to be standard deviations from the mean. I wouldn't say to that individual that they need to be put in this power role. I would, you know, teach them or want them to be accepting of who they are because who am I to judge? But that doesn't mean that every single man or boy that comes to see me in my office should be fit in that same category. That wouldn't make any sense. So I'm supposed to tell the head of a company that he shouldn't you know, execute his power role. <laughs> I th- happen to think that's the biggest issue, the biggest problem with what we're dealing with in the culture that we live in today versus, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago or any time before today, which is that you take 
the small percentage of, I don't know what you want to call it. Well, a minority, just call it a minority of any kind. By minority, I mean, like if you even look at the same sex or homosexual community, what is, what is the percentage? 6%. And rather than cater to that group on its own, you know, with its own set of needs and whatever, the goal is to over completely um, overtake the rest of the 94% and change them to accommodate this 6% so that they feel more comfortable in that world, I guess. I don't know. But it, the whole rationale makes zero sense. And I'm always saying that the majority needs a voice for two, right? Like, so that it has this appearance of, of, of being all accepting. And this is a proof of our acceptance. But in fact, you're not benefiting the group at all by going about it in that way. That's right. I, I agree with you. I think that's what it's about. I think it's that everyone, it's that, you know, small percentage of the population wants so badly to get what they want, which is this validation that they're real humans. I mean, yeah. if you don't know that because you look in the mirror, that has nothing to do with your sexuality. And you and I know that, right? But that's what it is. And then the rest of the population, I mean, it's fascinating. We're all marginalized, not the small percentage, but the rest, right? The rest. It's the, the 94%. We're, we're now marginalized because we, because I don't want my son to wear pink. I will not, I don't want him wearing pink. When he crosses his legs all the way, I tell him to uncross his legs. He's sitting like a girl. And then what do I get from him? My school says, they say at my school that I can cross my legs however I want to. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're not wearing pink because you are a boy and you're not going to cross your legs like that. If you want to wear pink during breast cancer awareness week, you can wear pink during that week alone. No, but it's things like that. Where I'm not going to let the school, the community, the sports teams, everyone around me tell me that my son should be raised to be part of a population that I don't want him to be a part of unless he chooses that. I can't imagine how you deal with that. It's in public school. Yes. I don't I, I mean my hat's off to you, Rose. I seriously don't even know how you do this in Philadelphia, no less. Uh, you know, a major a major city and in public schools. We sent our son to an all boys as fast as we could by sixth grade, and so we've been so fortunate. And and part of it has to do with that is I couldn't I couldn't cope. I didn't I didn't want to deal with, with what I'd have to deal with in the public school. So part of it was for me, not just for him, because it would be a it would be for me, my experience as well for those all those years. I'm so impressed that you are just living your own life. That's a lot of pressure between public school and being a psychologist in today's world and knowing what you know and living the way you live. That's, that's not easy. That's impressive. Thank you. Yeah, it's difficult, but I have to stand by my values, and my morals. I can't let other people push me or else I won't be able to be a good parent to my son. I won't be able to be a good wife, mother, a good clinician. I have more values and I'm going to stand by them. Well, that's why I wanted to have you on Rose. Cause that's what we do here at this show. That's literally the theme of the show is not being ruled by cultural dictates and living what you know is right. Um, despite that pressure. So I so appreciate you coming on. It was really great talking with you. So tell us where people can find out more about you, Rose. Sure. You can visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. So like I was saying earlier, my husband and I co-own the business. So if you're a man and you're looking for some mindset coaching, you can work with my husband. Or if you're looking for some coaching or some counseling by yours truly, me, you can find me there as well. You can click on schedule a session and we do free 15-minute consults. So we'd love to hear from you. Thriveonlinecounseling.com. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Rose. This has been great. Really, look, Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming.
And now it's time for the email of the day. This is from L. She just signed it L. Hi, Suzanne. My question is, would you advise a 30-year-old woman to marry a man that has children from a previous relationship? Or would you say it's better to still hold off and find someone to start your own family? I wonder if this is settling at this point, or should I consider that the older I get, the more I'll have to deal with men with kids, so I might as well get with this one with whom we otherwise have a great connection. I think that's really hard because I think that's very, very, very common today because so many people are waiting longer than ever to get married. You're almost certain to end up with someone who has kids from a previous marriage. That is one of the reasons why I think it is best to not push marriage off as long as you know, humanly possible, which is basically what women are encouraged today. That's that's a very good reason not to, quite honestly. But if you're in that boat, I don't know. I can only say what I would do or what I would advise my daughter. So that's the best way for me to answer this question. If if she was 30 years old, there are circumstances for which it might not be as problematic as other circumstances. So what happened with the first marriage? Was the gentleman ever married to the mom? Did the mom die? Were they divorced? Is there mental illness, you know, in that previous relationship? There's just a lot of variables there, I guess, to consider to be able to make a blanket answer. But if you're not that far in, I would personally wait a little bit longer in the hopes of meeting someone who has not had a previous family. I think that is very problematic in ways that people don't recognize when it's happening to them. And it's not popular to talk about because nobody wants to tell the truth about how difficult this will be down the line, but that's not helpful, you know, to anybody. So the reality is it's very problematic. So at the end of the day, I would probably hold off and wait a few more years to see if I could find someone who does not have um, children from a previous marriage or relationship. Hope that answers your question. Thanks, Elle. And that ends this hour of the Suzanne Venker Show. Don't forget to tune in next week when we talk with author Leela Miller about her very important book, Primal Loss, a moving account of adult children of divorce. Don't forget to continue the conversation on Facebook. Just type in The Suzanne Banker Show in the Facebook search bar and you'll find it. Also, please recommend this podcast to one friend you think would enjoy it. Finally, if you have a question or comment for me, you can email me at Suzanne at the Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.